may not be the sharpest tool in the workshed, but you can't deny I've got some zeal. I almost ran that boy over to get up in this pulpit. <laughs> I'm going to, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 1. But before I read, I want to say something. Um, Flattery is one of the greatest sins against God. Flattery is a sin against the one you're flattering. It's a demonstration of lovelessness, of self-interest. I owe it to God in the fear of God, not to flatter anyone. I owe it to the person to whom I'm speaking, not to flatter them. Now, why do I say that? Because the things I'm, I'm going to say... I'm going to say in the context of what I believe about flattery. It is wrong, it's deceptive, it's quickly exposed. Sister Anderson asked me, she said yesterday, she said, thank you for coming to speak here. And I said, ma'am, if you guys asked me to come here and, and mop the floors, I would count it a privilege. You know, when I've first got to know not only this university but also the seminary I actually went home to my wife now I have a master's degree but I went home to my wife and I said you know I I wonder if it would be good if I just stepped down for about three years she said why I said well go to seminary she said you've been to seminary I said I know but Wow, if only I had been there. I'd sometimes think, what kind of man would I be now? Maybe more honed. Those of you who are here, have you ever wanted to be a part of something that's so much bigger than you? You, you hear about these men of the Reformation and you think, wow. Do you know one thing I've discovered? Men and movements that are making history, if they really are, they, they don't realize that they're actually making history. Much of what you see going on here is very similar to the things you're seeing up here on the screen. It's just 500 years later. I, I believe it's that important. My life, more than anything else, my heart beats for missions for those who have never heard the gospel. But you need to understand, those of you who are alumni and others, you need to understand that one of the greatest travesties in the world today is what's being done on the mission field. It is sometimes beyond description how bad it is. Methodologies that are totally and completely powerless because they're unbiblical. Not only are they not proclaiming truth, they are infecting the entire world with heresy. I have been many, many places. Many places around the world for many, many, many years. I've seen a lot of things. And, and what I want to tell you is that, well, Heart Cry, the mission that I work with, we are completely independent from this ministry out here in California. I mean, we're a completely different thing. And yet do you realize that 
we take some of our funds and some of the indigenous men that are trained in this college and in that seminary, we take our own funds to help put them back on the field. That's how much we believe in what's going on here. Now, if an independent group outside of all of you would do something like that, how much more those of you who have been a part of what God is doing here and now you're back out in the world. You see that? You see, everything that we have is a gift. It's a gift and a stewardship. If you have received from this place, then when you go out and you see, here's the wonderful thing about the university and then the seminary. You have people come here. Many of them aren't even converted and they get converted. That's a great blessing. But then you have this. You have some that go on into what we call the preaching proclamation ministry. That's wonderful. But no more wonderful than those of you who get business degrees and science degrees and you go out into the field. You're all a part of this great move of God that is like what you're seeing here. Don't, don't fail to recognize this. You're a part of something huge. Now, missions is very simple. It really is. You're either called to go down in the mine, into the well, as William Carey said, or you're called to hold the rope for those who go down. Either way, there's going to be scars on your hands. Let me ask those of you who've benefited from this university, could you show me your scars? How have you held the rope? How will you hold the rope in the future for those who go down into the mine? Into the world of missions? You know, I can go around the world. There's places where I've preached and there's places I've preached for TMAI. And I've gone and I've observed with a critical eye because if I love, I should have a critical biblical eye. Do you know the one thing that most stands out here is the lack of foolishness. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what it's about. At Masters, at the seminary, and it's been duplicated on the mission field, and that's what's rare, and it's this. You are here to know the Word, to live the Word, to preach the Word on the street, behind the counselor's desk, and in the pulpit. That's it. If you want something else, then go somewhere else. That, in that, is the power of the gospel. In that is the power of God. That is what brought about a reformation and is bringing about a reformation. So please, not, not just for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of your own life, for the sake of your own joy, Realize you're a part of something gigantic. And give your life to it. That day when you walk in glory, and maybe some missionary that came out of this school walks into glory at the very same moment, be able to compare scars. He said, look at my scars. I went down into the mine. I did. And you say, Look at my scars. I held the rope. 
What does this world need? Men who proclaim the gospel. Women who know and proclaim the gospel. But how shall they go if they're not sent? This is your obligation. This is your solemn obligation. This is your privilege. Don't you want to live out something that's greater than any movie Hollywood could ever make? Don't you want to be a part of something that is so grand that fills your life with meaning that you're not, you didn't come here so that you could go out and, and just have a nice car or a home or compete with people who don't even like you or retire and play golf. No, you've been called into something so gigantic that makes Camelot look like child's play. When my children were little, they would ask me, Dad, what do you do? I mean, we see you go off at times. You go into jungles, you do all this stuff. You come back, you're sick. You look like you're half dead. Like, what do you do? And I would always tell them when they were little, um, I can't tell you right now because you won't believe me. And I knew I'd pique their interest on that. <laughs> well, Dad, what do you do? Well, you promise you have to believe me. And they would say, okay, we'll believe you. What do you do? I'd say, I fight dragons. <laughs> and they would say, no, you don't. <laughs> and I said, you promised you'd believe me. But we do, don't we? We fight dragons. We conquer nations. We save people out of the jaws of death. Now, how can you just go and live a normal life after hearing that, how can you be concerned about video games and television and all these things when there's a war raging and you get to be a part of it, maybe even die for it? Maybe even die for it. With all the great expositors here, maybe this is the reason God brought me here today was just to say that. Please. Don't waste your life. Please. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, to the end that we who 
were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, having listened to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Let's, let's pray. You are great. You are great, O oh God. None above you, none beside you. You are great. And I pray that throughout this day, in all the preaching, your greatness would be made known. Open the eyes, the hearts of your people that they may go on knowing in ever-increasing measure your greatness and that their life would be transformed by the knowledge of your character and will. Oh, great and merciful God, help us. Help us in such a way that we will know you have answered our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Now in verse, what do we have here? Well, we definitely have a lot more than 30 minutes can, can give us, don't we? But here's the thing that I want you to see. Whenever I think of the doctrine of solus Christus, of Christ alone, whenever I think about that, my mind is drawn here to Ephesians chapter 1. In verses 3 through 14, in 11 verses, we have the phrase, in Christ, or its equivalent, used over 10 times, depending on how you look at it. And what does that tell us? It tells us that everything, everything in God's plan of everything is centered in the person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That's what it tells us. That is how special he is, how unique he is. That is why the early Christians were often known as, as atheists. Did you know that? Why would they be known as atheists? Because they came into a world filled with, with religions and gods and means of salvation, and they said, you're all wrong. See, that's the scandal of Christianity. You're all wrong. Every last one of you, you're wrong. Oh, and by the way, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is. You see, all I have to do and all you have to do to have the world love you. I mean, I could be on every talk show in the world tomorrow if I would only do one thing and, and praised by them. All I have to do is change a definite article to an indefinite article. That's all I have to do, and I will be the most popular preacher. Well, at least I'll join many of the most popular preachers who've already done that. All I have to do is change a definite article to an indefinite article. I just have to stop saying Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the center of God's plan and say Jesus is a Savior and a part of God's plan. And when I do that, I join the rest of the world 
They will love me, but I will have committed apostasy and lost my soul. You see, that's the scandal of Christianity. And I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I come from a cattle ranch. But I can tell you this. The winds seem to be blowing with all indicators that the great battle of our time will not even be over the doctrine of election among evangelicals. I believe you will see the great majority of those who call themselves evangelicals cave in on the issue of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. They're already doing it and they will continue to do it and it's a slippery slope and they will slide down into total apostasy. What will you do? Will you stick with the scriptures and realize that in God's plan of everything he's ever planned, it is all focused from beginning to end in the person of Jesus Christ. Or I like to say it this way with even more scandal, everything God's ever planned is centered upon Jesus of Nazareth, the man. Now, when we look at this text, we see in verse 3, we see the scope or sum of the believer's treasury in Christ. He lays out for us the breadth of it. It is gigantic. And then he goes on, and in the rest of the verses, up until verse 14, he gives us what we would call an itemized account. It's almost as though he says, this treasury of yours in Christ is gigantic. And then he goes, now let me just give you a few examples of how great it is. And in verse 4, he talks about our election in Christ. And then in verses 5 and 6, our adoption in Christ. And then verse 7, our redemption in Christ. And goes on in verse 7, our forgiveness in Christ. Then the fact that we have been given wisdom and knowledge to understand, to be acquainted with the great purpose of God for all the universe. That's been given to us also in Christ. And then we have an inheritance in Christ. Now, Obviously, I'm not going to be able to address all of this. I spent too much time in the other thing. And even if I had three years, it would be difficult to get through all of this, wouldn't it? Well, no, it would be difficult to get through all of this in a few eternities. But the point that I want you to see, because our brother is going to come and, and preach on this text also, the point I want you to see is again that Christ is so precious to us. Do you see that? The person, the person of Jesus Christ is so precious to God and he's so precious to us. I like to say it this way, that apart from him, we have no part with God. He's, he's everything. And he must be preached. Even though Christianity has an ethic, Christianity has a, has a morality, there are commands. And, and I don't see what the problem is with this because I, I rather like them. They help me a great deal. But never forget, Christianity is again different from all the other religions in the world because it is not primarily a moral or ethical religion. It is a story of redemption. This is about us 
recognizing the will of God to place everything in his son and then for us to cling to him. And you say, oh yes, I understand that. That's, that's so clear. No, you have to understand that all of us, even some of us old guys, we always have to be on guard. Because according to the book of Colossians, it is so easy to let loose of, of Christ is everything and to get carried off into something else. That is the great, great problem. You know, in... In 1 Peter, I mean in 1 Timothy, there is this warning in chapter 4 that in the last days that these, these evil times will come and he, go, he goes through, well, let's just, just turn there for a second. I want you to look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Now, when I read this, if I was reading this for the first time, I would recognize, he says the Spirit says explicitly, that's unusual. We don't find that somewhere else. Then when he goes on and he begins to talk about this, I'm expecting that in verse 3, he's going to talk about the appearance of the Antichrist. I mean, really, he's giving us such a warning here. It's unbelievable. So as I read verses 1 and 2, I brace myself. And I think he's now going to describe the most horrific thing in Scripture. The coming of the Antichrist or something. But then I get to verse 3 and it's men who forbid marriage and ab advocate abstaining from food and I think to myself I didn't expect that not after such a harsh warning do you know what's going on here when you read this in America so many people will say well we obviously haven't fallen into this error I mean we marry all the time and just take a look at us you can tell we're not abstaining from much food so we're definitely not in danger of this, so why would Paul give us a big warning here? I'll tell you why. What he's really saying is this. It is a doctrine of demons and a deceitful spirit and vile men proclaiming it whenever anything is brought into Christianity and set above the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he goes on in verse in chapter 3 verse 16, he's already established that the gospel is the great mystery of godliness. That it is the great thing in Christianity that Christ is the great person that it's all about him. It's all about what God has done for us in him and who we are in him. It is all about Christ. And anytime you deviate from that and make something else important in the church, it is apostasy to the greatest degree. Now, I'm, I think that websites should look nice. And I don't think there's anything wrong with having pretty people in your church. But let me give you an example of how this works. I look up church websites sometimes. First of all, I think, where do they get all these pretty people? Because in my church, they're, they're ugly compared to these people. 
I mean, all these people have perfect teeth and they're all 30, 35 and nice clothes. And then I hear things like this, and this is even in evangelical, conservative, reformed. Then I hear things like, come join us, a loving, affirming community. Come join us, a place for your family. Come join us, this, that, guess what? We've got, we've got right here, 1 Timothy chapter 4 going on. Why? You know what should be on the front page? We preach Christ crucified. Everything we are is in Christ. Everything we have is in Christ. And we, you know what I love about the two elders in the small church plant that I'm a part of? They refuse to allow anything to be a drawing card to the public except Christ crucified and raised from the dead. I was preaching in Romania years ago with uh, Conrad Mbewe, one of my favorite preachers. And he got onto this and he said, you men, with all your fancy techniques, he goes, let me share with you something. You want to know how the Apostle Paul planted a church? He got a big cardboard billboard about this big. And he wrote on it the most scandalous thing he could possibly tell the Gentile or Jewish world. We preach Christ crucified. And then he walked down the middle of the street. power of God is revealed in the gospel. The power of God is seen all over this text in that the emphasis is Christ, 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 Christ. Notice that there's not one thing here that has to do about you obtaining anything through you. But it is all in Christ. Now, I want us just to look for a moment. It says here in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Why do we bless God? Is that, do we initiate this relationship? Is it us? We bless God and therefore He blesses us. Well, go to 1 John. Did we initiate this love relationship? Do we love him because we're so marvelous? Or do we love him because he loved us? And we bless him because he initiated the relationship. He blessed us. Do you see that? Now, he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual Blessing. Now, the aorist tense is used here with regard to blessing in the, in the context indicated that it's, it's in the past. That God, at one point in time, blessed every believer with every spiritual blessing. Now, when did that occur? Did it occur the moment you believed? Is that when it happened? Or is it much deeper, much more profound, much more eternal? It is. Before the foundation of the world, He blessed each and every one of His people with every spiritual blessing. Now let me show you how that works itself out. Step one, if you can say such a thing. 
God blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ before the foundation of the world. Step two, in time, in the fullness of time, God sent His beloved Son, the Son of His love. And what did He do? Through His perfect life, through His work on Calvary, He won for us all these blessings. You see, there's a matter here of the justice of God. We had offended the justice of God. Blessing cannot be poured out on the likes of us. The only way it can be possible is through the person and work of Christ who went to Calvary and satisfied the demands of God's divine justice against us. He won for us on that day, not only pardon, as Dr. Lawson pointed out, but every spiritual blessing that can possibly be conferred by the divine to the creature was given to us in Christ. In Christ. And then, step three, what happens? Young person, listen to me. These blessings began to become realities to you, present-day realities on the day of your conversion. At least if you were truly converted. I remember that day. I was standing there in the undergraduate library of the University of Texas, and some guys had been witnessing to me, and, but I really wasn't thinking that day about anything. And I was working with this team. We were doing oil surveys and things. I wanted to be an oil and gas lawyer. And a girl came up to me and she invited me to a party. And I had gotten to the point in my life where I didn't even party. I would just sit in the bar and drink. And I said, no, I'm not coming to your party. And, and she said, why? You just, you're just always by yourself now. And I wasn't even thinking. I just said this. I said, well, I'm not coming to your party because I believe in Jesus. And all my friends turned around and looked at me. And they were like, that's low. Even for you, that's low. <laughs> I mean, that's bottom feeder right there, washer. What? How could you do that? And it was like, have you ever seen one of those cartoons where a light bulb just goes pop like that? And I, I said, all of a sudden, I, re I, I do believe in him. I see it. Everything those guys have been telling me in the Bible. It, I, I believe. And my friend looked at me and goes, what are you talking about? I said, I believe. I, Jesus, he did. He died for me. God loves me. What are you doing? I'm walking right out this door and I'm going to follow him. That's what I'm doing. And I went back and I got to the dorm and I went to the guy who had been witnessing to me and I said, look, I don't know What's happened to me? I'm scared. All I know is when I went in that library, I did not believe in Jesus. Now I believe in Jesus and I love him and I'm going to follow him. So he took me down to the guy who was discipling him, a really big Texan by the name of Mike Martin, and knocked on the door and he said, Mike, Paul has something to say to you. What's up? I said, I don't know. I said, all I know is I wasn't believing. Now I'm believing. I love him. There is such a sense of his love. I mean, he died for me on Calvary. And he goes, buddy, you just got born again. 
And I said, what's that? <laughs> you, you see, in time, in historical time, as he came in the incarnation in real time, not mythology, a historical event, so he comes in real time. And he opens up your eyes and these realities begin to be realities. Do you see that, student? But now, here's the thing, student, I really want you to see. And do you know I actually have like 16 pages of notes and I'm going to get through two. <laughs> but here's what I want you to see. As we grow in the Christian life, these things become greater and greater realities. Now here's where I really want to hammer it home to you. Do you know in the first five centuries of the church, they often wrongly, but they did, they talked about deadly sins, mortal sins. Do you know what one of them was? Slothfulness. Slothfulness, student. Slothfulness. And I want you to be terrified of this sin. Because you see, what are we to do? The prophet was clear. Press on to know the Lord. You remember I said last night, I'm going to say it again. Why do some people just seem to be pushed or carried or driven? It's not because they're of better stock. And although it can be attributed to the work of the Holy Spirit, I want you to see the work of the Holy Spirit in this. That through the study of God's word, the Spirit of God illumines the mind of the believer so that this believer can see these great things. You see that? And as the believer sees them, and as they become greater and greater realities, this believer goes from strength to strength. You, there are prophets and kings and men far more noble than any of you that longed to see Christ's day and did not see it. There are people all over the world, whether it be Indonesia, Saudi Arabia, the massive movement in Iran right now, who if I give them, if I gave them translated one page of notes, of the thousands of pages of notes on scripture and Christian worldview and everything that you receive here at, this, at the university, if I gave them one page of those notes, they would kiss my hands. Do you see what a privilege has been given to you? And then do you see what a stewardship? You're in a place where the commandments of God are taken seriously, and yet it's not legalism. You're, you're in a place where the commands of God are appreciated, but it is all pointing to Him, all pointing to Christ, all pointing to Christ. You're in a place where you can learn about Christ, Christ, Christ. 
And you see, that's what you need. The more you see him, you don't have to worry about anything else. Let me finish with, with an illustration. Are there any physics majors here? There's a few. Math majors, there's a few. Well, here's a physics thing. What, what if I laid on this platform, on my back, and you saw me, and I took both my hands like this, and I grabbed a hold of my belt, okay? And I started pulling aggressively at my belt as I lay on my back. And you walked up and you said, Brother Paul, what are you doing? And I said, it's obvious. I'm trying to get up. And you'd go, you know, you aren't exaggerating. You really aren't that sharp, are you? <laughs> I'm trying to get up. That's the way a lot of you are. And that's the way a lot of preachers preach. You've got to pull yourself up. You've got to acquire the fire. You've got to go to a conference where you get psyched up and freaked out and everything for Jesus. And in three days, you're worse than when you started. Or if I came to you as a preacher and said, all of you need to love God more. You would say, yes. But how? How? Well, if I'm laying on my back and I'm grabbing myself by the belt and I'm trying to pick myself up, that's absurd. I need to be acted upon by an outside force. If I'm going to do it that way, through the use of my belt or my bootstraps, I need to be acted upon by an outside force in order to get up. Now, some people would say, oh, absolutely. And there's a meeting next Friday where there's a guy that's going to lay his hands on you and you're going to get that power you need. Well, you may get something, but it won't be the power you need. You know, I've been married for almost 25 years. I love my wife now more than when I met her. I really do. Why? Why do I love her more now? I mean, she's, she's not 20 anymore. We're both starting to show the signs of age, even though not her. If you're listening to this, Chato, you're still as beautiful. Gosh, that was a dumb thing to say. I'm dead. This is my last sermon. All right, this is 101 in marriage. Don't ever do that. But I love her more now than I did before. Why do I love her more now than I did before? Why? Because I know more of her virtue and her merit. And that virtue and that merit draws forth my affections. And those affections drive me. I, I, you see, when I say I love my wife, it's not, this is what you need to understand. When I say I love my wife, it's not a declaration of my character. It's not pointing to how good I am. It's a declaration of her character. That her character is so great, it draws out of this old stone affection. And that affection drives me. You see that? That's what Paul's getting at here. That's what he's working for here. That's why I said yesterday, you know, in, in Romans 1 through 11, it's everything God did for us. Chapter 12, verse 1. 
Based on these mercies, what are those mercies? The first 11 chapters. Based on this. Now offer your life as a living sacrifice. That, that's what, you see, the, the theologian who goes into this text and tears it apart, he is so necessary. He is so helpful and we need all of this. But it's in the context of we learn everything God has done for us in Christ so that when we get to chapter 4 of Ephesians, we're going to walk in a manner worthy of Him, of our calling. So, I need to be acted upon by an outside force. In my Christian life, what do I need? What do you students need? That according to Ephesians 1, 15 to the end of the chapter, your eyes be opened, the eyes of your heart opened to see what? The great treasury found in verses 3 through 14 of everything God has done for you in Christ. And when, and, and really, not just that, but the whole counsel of Scripture, because he's on every page. He's on every page. As you see more and more of God, and more and more of the gospel, and more and more of Jesus, what does it do? Well, if you're unconverted, here's what you'll do. The more you see of all this, the more you'll hate God. The more you see of God, the more you'll hate Him. The more you'll kick against the goads. But if your heart has been regenerated, if you've become a new creature, recreated, a new heart with new affections, then the more you see of all these things God has done for us in Christ, the more your affections will be drawn out to love Him more and more and more. And then that love for Him will drive you. I'm kind of known at times, you know, even some students came up to me and goes, well, I'm glad you came. Everyone told me now I need to buckle up because you're going to lay it on us. No. It's not what I did here. My elders asked me to preach a, a year ago through a series and so I did. And some people from out of town came to all the meetings. They wanted to. And after the third preaching, one of them came up to one of our deacons and said, has Brother Paul compromised? And the deacon said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, we've been here for three weeks and all he has talked about is how much God loves us all. How much God loves his children. And he, the deacon said, you really don't understand, do you? That it's compromised to talk about this? Absolutely not. You see, I believe, I believe that the greatest mover of the regenerate heart, yes, we must preach the law to the unconverted churchman. We must bring him to his knees with regard to his self-righteousness because you will not get into heaven with one shred of self-righteousness on your back. So we must use the law. We must preach against sin. But when someone is truly converted, my desire is to show them everything God has done for them in Christ and how much God loves them in Christ and what God is doing to them and will do for them throughout all eternity. Because in my life, it is not the law that drives me to piety. The law is a great guide to know how to love God and to love my fellow man. But what drives me 
is everything God did for me in Jesus. And that's what I want to drive you. And as a very, very quick summary of this, we didn't touch hardly anything, but the, the thing that I want you to see if you're struggling in your Christian life is that without a doubt, without a doubt, it is the gospel that is the great mystery of godliness. And the more we understand and survey this scripture, the more we see of Christ, the more conformed to his image we will be, the more pleasing to him we will be, the more useful we will be. Students, some of you need a kick in the pants. You really do. If, if I were to walk up to some people and say, you need to study the scriptures, and they would say, well, it's hard. You know, I read chapters, I forget things. It's just hard. But if I were to come to them as a boss and say, listen, here's a manual. It's this thick. It's very boring. But if you want to keep your job, you've got to memorize the whole thing. They would do it for money. Or if I said, here's a manual. I'm going to give it to you. If you can conquer the stuff that's in here, then we will double your salary and give you a superior job. They'd do it for money. But here we have this, this book that is filled with everything God is and His great plan. And yet it lays there. You've been given so much. And it all starts here. It all starts here. Study to show yourself approved. Study to know how to walk. But more importantly, student, please, I beg you. How? Look for Jesus here. Look for God here. Find out all the beauty and wonder of Him. And everything else will fall in place. When He's the center, everything. Do you realize all of God's plan falls in place? Do you realize none of it works? None of God's plan works without Jesus? Well, you think your plans are going to work without Christ? Do you think a University's plans is going to work without Christ? Or a seminary without Christ? Everything in the eternal plan of God is dependent upon Jesus of Nazareth. It's the same way in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your word that tells us about your son who shows us you. In Jesus' name.